Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune from TCO Performance Center in Egan, where the Vikings are preparing for suddenly a playoff, or not playoff, but a rematch against the Packers with playoff implications. And Ben, we were sorting through the many questions we got for the mailbag here. So thank you for sending those on Twitter to us. The mailbag is bursting at the seams today, isn't it? It really is. And I need to start with the one that we got here from Jay Jetta's wide receiver one. I don't think this is actually Justin. No, I don't think it is. I don't think He's it's got his, a two in there. I don't think it's his burner either. But he says, what are the odds Justin Jefferson moons Lambo this weekend? That's a great question. <laughs> Because he's done everything yeah, else to mimic Randy Moss. Yes, he has. Uh, that would be the last one. I mean, I, well, yeah, because he hasn't bumped a traffic cop either or <laughs> talked about not feeding this crap to my dog. Though we did hear that quote from another Viking referencing the old Randy Moss thing in the locker room. That Viking shall remain nameless. Uh, no, I do not think he moons Lambeau Field this weekend. I think he will be in the end zone. I think he will have opportunities to celebrate. But uh, no, I, I don't think he will. Uh, you can keep an eye out for his new dance, though. He he has been doing a new dance the last couple of weeks. I uh, got the scoop on that from noted cultural connoisseur Kirk Cousins uh, the other day, who who told me what it was, and I had no idea until Kirk told me. So this is this is the moment we're living in. Kirk Cousins up on the latest trends on Justin Jefferson's end zone celebrations. It's uh, called the Stan. If so curious. Th- this is the one that after he scored the touchdown against the Giants, he fakes an injury. Correct. And then kind of gets into a little stroll. Yes. It's called the Stan Walk. The this Stan is, Walk. There's like an old dude that did this on the beach on TikTok. And it's apparently a New Orleans thing. But yeah, Kirk said Justin saw it on TikTok or Instagram. This guy doing it on the beach. And now he's added that to his repertoire. Kirk is more confident in his own ability to do this <laughs> than the gritty. So... Uh, these are the things I have been working on uh, for a Justin Jefferson feature that will hit later this week. That stuff was not in it, but uh, a little extra bonus content on things Justin Jefferson does in end zones or that, doesn't do. I would be shocked if that gets as popular as the gritty, but you never know. I don't think it will, but you know, he you gotta you gotta keep people kind of coming back for more. You gotta have the next thing. I mean, the, the gritty's three years old at this point, so that's true can't just play the hits forever you have elementary aged or younger children right yes both elementary i do aged? both elementary aged my wife works in elementary school she said she can't go two minutes without someone grittying down the hallway yep, yep. my <laughs> the, the the conversation i've had with my kids it they know about the gritty from seeing it at elementary school my my oldest daughter's in fifth grade uh i've gone to hang out with her a few times for recess and lunch at her birthday and stuff and so some of the kids in her class are playing football and they're like oh you cover the vikings do you want to come play football with us sure whatever um go throw the ball around fifth graders it's fun uh but yeah every time they score it's gritty on the playground gritty in gym class yeah it's everywhere guys truly a superstar especially uh with that dance i just don't think the stand walk is gonna is gonna catch but hey you know what when i saw the gritty the first time i didn't think that was gonna become a phenomenon either so uh, who knows? Now let's transition to another question here about Justin Jefferson. Oh, it's the same guy. He's got all the Je- Jefferson questions, but this is a good one, too. He wants to know, how high does Jefferson go in a 2020 NFL redraft? That is an excellent question. I need to pull up the NFL draft from 2020 to kind of remember where all of that went. It was a very loaded wide receiver class. I think CeeDee Lamb was in that class. Jerry Judy. 
uh, Henry Ruggs. That didn't work out so well. I um, think okay. So because I'm it's dancing here, but because it's ahead. quarterbacks, I got it pulled up. Because it's quarterbacks, I think Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, those guys go before Justin. Yeah, that Joe Burrow probably goes number one. Yep, still. still. I think Justin Herbert might even go number two over Tua Justin goes Jefferson. over Jefferson. No, no, no. I wouldn't I think, think so either. I think we've seen enough of Tua to know that that's he's not the 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 kind of. Uh, what's the phrase like scheme agnostic quarterback where he's going to rise above anything. Um, you've also got Tristan Wirfs, pretty great. Yep. You've got CD lamb, as you mentioned, also pretty great. AJ Terrell is a phenomenal corner for Atlanta, but wouldn't go over Justin. Um, who went after Justin? That was good. You got Brandon. Ayuk, Nope. Uh, Jordan love. Nope. Yeah. Jeff uh, Gladney. No. Uh, Jeff, nope. Nope. Uh, Clyde Edwards. Lair, no T Higgins is pretty great. Yeah. But no, uh, Jonathan Taylor went second round. Antoine Winfield Jr. went second round. Okay, Jalen Hurts, I forgot about him. Yeah. Went second round. He probably goes ahead of Tua in a redraft. Here is how – Chase Young. Yeah, that's an interesting one too. Been hurt a lot. But here is how pro football reference would look at this in terms of their AV, their approximate value statistic. Um, I go back to this quite a bit around draft time, and, and it's no different when players are this young, but it – there's a weighted approximate value and a draft approximate value. Draft approximate value is how much they gave to the team that drafted them. And again, players this young haven't hit free agency yet, so it's it's mostly the same. At any rate, here's how they rank it. Justin Herbert, Tristan Wirfs, Jonathan Taylor, Jeremy Chin from oh. Carolina. Now, positional value is not going to have him going that high. They have Jefferson fifth, Burrow sixth. This is in terms of approximate value. I don't think that's how the draft would actually go. And then the rest of the top ten is Hertz, CeeDee Lamb, Trayvon Diggs, Chase Young, and then Patrick Queen after that, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, A.J. Terrell, Chase Claypool, on down from there. I would have to guess Justin can go as high as second after Burrow and as low as fourth maybe after Burrow, Herbert, and gosh, maybe as low as third. But Werfs, I think Werfs or Young could yeah. still easily be second or third overall in that redraft. But point being, everybody knows the Vikings got an incredible steal in that draft. Yeah, it would go higher than 22nd, that's for sure. In which Jalen Rager went before him. Um, and pretty Jaylen, loaded draft, really. I mean, not not bad, especially second round skill talent between uh Jonathan Taylor, Jalen Higgins, Jalen Hurts. Um, yeah, it was it was a pretty decent draft. Jeremy Chin as you mentioned. Antoine Winfield. Um, Raquan Davis. The Vikings didn't get much out of that draft after Justin Jefferson. Ezra Cleveland is still starting for them. He's a second round pick, but um, even going down the line, Cam Dantzler, that's right. So, yeah, Jefferson's easily easily a top five pick, if not the number two overall pick. I can't put him ahead of Joe Burrow, though. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, the quarterbacks are going to go at the top. And you maybe even make a case for Jalen Hurts, given what he's done this year. I, I could hear an argument for that, I guess, but I, I could also hear a very strong argument for, no, take Jefferson and uh, – Figure out the rest of it later. Eric wants to know which Vikings defensive star will we be talking about if they make the NFC Championship game? So who on their defense has to have some pretty big games here moving forward? That's a good question. I, I mean, thinking of the teams that they're going to end up playing, um, you're, I think, going to have to have somebody that is better against the run probably figuring it's San Francisco in the second round. I think you're going to have to be better in that capacity than 
they have been. So maybe that's Harrison Phillips, Dalvin Tomlinson. Those guys probably don't do things that translate to star performances, at least in the way that we see them. Um, I could see a guy like Brian Asamoah making some sneaky contributions in the sense that you're going to have to deal with Christian McCaffrey. You're going to have to deal with Debo Samuel. A guy like that is going to be a piece that you can use in some of those spots. You know, It's probably more of a, a sneaky contribution kind of thing than a star, but I think you could see a guy like that coming in and making an important play or two. Yeah, Brian Osimo has, has been a, kind of a revelation for them throughout the second half of this season. The obvious ones to me that jumped out were the two pass rushes. Yeah, they're right? going like, to have to get big games from those guys. you got Zadarius and Daniil going. That's, that would be super helpful. The one that I kind of thought of as you were talking was Harrison Smith because initially in the playoffs, you're probably thinking you're not going to be playing lights-out quarterbacks, right? It's going to be Danny Dimes, Brock Purdy. Um, you, know, you, you won't get to – Washington quarterback – to be determined yeah, Carson Wentz I guess <laughs> so what have we seen lately from the defense in terms of adjustments against bad quarterbacks it's Harrison actually getting to play up at the line and do different things and if Harrison can have some big games against these mediocre quarterbacks and we've seen him have good games against great quarterbacks but just the way they use him I, I have a feeling now going into Lambeau on Sunday that they're going to play a little more like they had been which is kind of off not trying to blitz Rodgers just kind of playing it safe a little bit against them and that's not really putting Harrison in the action um but then if you're hosting Washington you're hosting the Giants though that's when Harrison I think can have a huge game so I guess I wouldn't be too surprised to see him uh come about but that's a good point with the linebackers and run stoppers too because yeah they're gonna need somebody to step up in the middle there yeah um, against Saquon Barkley Christian McCaffrey or yeah and just a little, little check downs and McCaffrey can catch and turn into 25-yard gains if you're not careful. I mean, you're going to have to have somebody kind of close those off, and I think Asamoah is going to be a big part of that. Um, all right, we got a question here from – I'm scrolling through. We got one from Skull Uper wants to know, are we in for another one-score game on Sunday, and why is your answer absolutely yes? Yeah, of course we are. <laughs> why is your answer yes? Um – because I've just resigned myself to the fact that every time I have to file a game story right at the end of the game, it's going to be a, a fire drill. It's just, <laughs> you know. And, and this is one of those where, so we're doing the carpool over the day of, and I think the plan is to drive all the way back yeah. the night of. So there's going to be, we're, I'm driving with Suhan and Scoggins, and they're both going to be, hey, let's get going. The we car will go. be running. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> hurry up, finish writing. It's going to be one of those that just, I've resigned myself to it. No, I, I mean, in, in all seriousness, I think um, the Packers are playing well enough to keep themselves around. They are not going to be the type of team that can score enough points to, to blow anybody out at this point, but I think they'll do enough to make it close. I think they'll be able to run the ball effectively. Um, you know, Rodgers has made some throws that, you know, uncharacteristic for him. I mean, a lot of turnovers. I'm sure that thumb is a big part of the reason why. So if if the Vikings get a comfortable lead, it may come because of a turnover or two that you're not used to seeing Rodgers make. Christian Watson also did not practice yesterday. Not sure if we'll see him with that injury on Sunday or not. I, I think if they don't have him, it's going to be tougher for the Packers to score enough points. But their defense has also been a lot better than what we saw week one so I, I think they'll, they'll do enough to keep it close and it'll be one of those that comes down to the end again 
before those Wednesday injury reports came out, I was on Green Bay Radio and they asked me to make a prediction. And to be true to my word here, I picked the Packers to win uh, because I thought I thought the Packers need it more. The Vikings are rotating out starters. Try, they have a, a long view here. Yep. They're trying to rest guys. And as Ed Donatel said today, we're in the tournament with a home game. So they're trying to uh, get some mileage off of Kendricks or Harrison Smith or Jordan Hicks, uh, all guys that have been on injury reports for the Vikings. But then I saw that Packers injury report. And I saw Rodgers, knee slash yeah. toe. Yep. I saw Christian Watson still not practicing with a hip injury after not finishing that game against Miami. Um, if that's the case, I, I think the Vikings – I like the Vikings' chances because yeah. the only way I see Green Bay keeping up with Justin Jefferson is uh, finding a way to get Christian Watson the type of game he had against Dallas yeah. where it's three touchdowns and they're going wild. Um, I, I just think the Packers have to win a shootout if they're going to stay alive. Yeah, I think that's right, and I don't know that they're going to be capable of that. They just haven't been able to play those types of games. Their their offensive line, which has been a strong point of that team for the last several years, has not been very good. I mean, part of that is David Bakhtiari being hurt. They've put Elton Jenkins back, I think, a guard, and he's been awfully good there. But they've had issues in the middle of that line with some of the turnover they've had from guys hitting free agency and just not being able to sign everybody. So that line has not been as good at protecting Rodgers, and Rodgers just doesn't do as, not, as much to protect himself as he used to do. So I think they will be able to get some pressure, particularly with Hunter and Smith playing as well as they have, particularly with Smith, I'm assuming, being pretty fired up to go back to Lambeau Field on Sunday afternoon. I, I tend to think this is going to be one where Rodgers overthrows somebody, gives them the death stare because they ran the wrong route, and Harrison Smith sitting over the top picks it off, and that may flip a series or a possession that puts the Vikings ahead to stay. Yeah, and the Packers have only really survived defensively because they've gotten those takeaways. Yeah. Yep. Otherwise, they've been just similar to the Vikings, gashed yep. uh, in yardage. And I was surprised to look up the numbers and see the Packers, if I'm remembering this right, it was like 27th in terms of yards per pass allowed, 29th in terms of yards per run allowed. Um, just efficiency-wise, they're a bad defense, but they get three takeaways from a concussed Tua, and they win that game. And finding out afterward that Tua was concussed, obviously. Um, I, I just – last time I was at all confident about the Vikings matching up with an opposing defense, it was that Dallas game. So don't take my word for anything. But I just think the Packers' defense does not look great right now. And even if they don't have Garrett Bradbury, who's still not practicing – and it's Austin Schlopman who got worked by Dexter Lawrence at times against the Giants. I still like their chances on offense. It's just that Vikings defense against an Aaron Rodgers who seemed to be kind of building a rapport with Watson and, and Romeo Dubs. But then you watch that Miami game, and he, yeah, you're right. He was just missing throws. Yeah. And if he's hurt, that's not obviously helpful. So we'll have to see how that all shakes out. But to, to have a Green Bay game with meaning – uh, it's going to be fun for everybody. This is this is a weird one to me because the Vikings certainly want to go in there and probably knock their rivals out. They want to keep pushing for as high of a seed in the playoffs as they can get because that may mean more than one home game. But the Packers, you know, there's I'm sure there's a feeling for some Vikings fans, especially the fatalistic wing of the fan base, that no, you don't want to let Rodgers in because you know what he's going to do. He's going to come into U.S. Bank Stadium round one. He's going to be the lights out, and they're going to they're going to knock the Vikings out. I just I don't know that I I see that with this Packers team. And what's more, it's I wonder internally what they're thinking because they've come out and said we don't need to see Jordan Love play 
to know if he's going to be ready to go. But like, don't you on some level want to see that? I I would think some of their internal conversations have been, you know, if, if we're not going anywhere, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for us to get eliminated so we can kind of turn our focus. I thought by this point they would have lost enough games to eliminate themselves and we would see Jordan Love. I We're obviously not going to, at least that's not the plan, unless Rodgers were to get hurt. But um, I really thought a month ago that we would see Jordan Love as a quarterback in this game. Yeah, the Packers were four and eight three weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, and it looked dead in the water, and and I was able to get an affordable hotel in Green Bay, which never happens. Uh, because I of how, should recheck that <laughs> because of how bad they were. Yeah, I didn't book it until they were like I don't know. They must have been four and seven at the time when I booked it or whatever. But point being, they were not good, and nobody wanted to book for that weekend on New Year's Eve for this game, which never happens because everybody thought this was going to be a huge game, and at least it does have some implications, which will make it fun. Uh, overall, somebody else asked, tell it to me straight. How bad is our defense? <laughs> so they've done better against yeah. Danny dimes. They've done better against Matt Ryan, but the last time we've seen them against a competent offense, they got run off the field at Ford field. Yeah. Um, they also gave up a ton of points to the Cowboys, gave up a ton of points and third downs to the bills. When they faced playoff caliber offenses, and I, and I say that with an asterisk because I don't put New York in there or Washington, yeah. um, I put that against like teams you think will be playing in the second weekend of the playoffs. Um, they haven't done well. And I'm very curious to see how they'd go against Rodgers because all these different things they've done in terms of blitzing more, dropping Harrison Smith, it's been against bad quarterbacks. Yeah, and you don't typically the, – the playbook on Rodgers is typically if you blitz him – there's a good chance you're going to get burned because he'll just know it. He'll know yep. you're trying to do yep. this and that's where it's coming from. And uh, he'll be able to, I think at Donatel said today, like they've got their RPOs, they've got their answers built in to those kinds of pressures that Rogers is so good at deciphering. Right. So are they going to be able to limit the yardage in this game in a way that gives you any kind of confidence or do that against Brock Purdy in San Francisco or against Jalen hurts or Dak Prescott, if you want to keep making that March, I think this is still a very, very below average to bad defense. Yeah, I do too. And I think the the thing that's especially concerning is they as they get into the playoffs, when you're going to see offenses that are a little deeper too, is teams that have second and third receivers are going to have opportunities against the secondary. I mean, do they get a Caleb Evans back by then? I you know, that's something to keep an eye on here in the next week or two. But if they don't, it's like, who's, I mean, this, this Cameron Dantzler thing is kind of up for grabs. I mean, O'Connell has been, well, we're going to get him back there when he's ready, but it's also, he hasn't played well enough and Duke Shelley has done enough. I, I think Duke Shelley probably has the inside track on that spot, which isn't to say that the problem is fixed. It's to say that they don't have the answer that they thought they were going to have at the beginning of the season, whether it's Dantzler, whether it's Booth, whether it's Evans, you have a lot of questions in that spot. And I think a team that has enough weapons to exploit that matchup is going to have opportunities against the secondary. Yeah, we're going to have an entire offseason to talk about how they need more corners. Yes. <laughs> the ghost of Zim. Just one more. Yes, indeed. Uh, the last time we saw Caleb Evans on the field, and don't get me wrong, he's, he's had moments. Uh, he's been a good tackler. That's been probably his best attribute so far in terms of perimeter support and getting guys down. But last time we saw him on the field, they were getting torched by Mike White. Yep. 
and the Jets. It was not going well. Garrett Wilson was running free in that secondary. So I think even if you get him back, he's still a rookie. He's still a guy that needs to learn a lot. And, and in a playoff game, you're going to have wide eyes. And Cam Dancer has made far too many mental errors on yep. the field. It's yep. not physical. It's yep. him not reading where he's supposed to match, what route he's supposed to latch on to. And that keeps ha- that's happened from Philly, and that's happened to to New England, and that happened. What was his last game? Detroit, I think. Detroit, thank you. Because it yeah. was. I remember thinking in Detroit, it's like this is two years in a row where a situational mistake cost him a game in Detroit. Yeah. Because it yep. the one the year before it was him being too deep in the end zone against Tom Ross St. Brown. And I don't think this is a good fit for him defensively. He sh- seems to be. It goes back to like Xavier Rhodes, and Xavier was like doing great. He was great when you could just tell him that's your guy. Yep. Just in, in lo- lock him down. Roads closed. <laughs> yep. Get in his face. Play, play, play press with him, yep. and you don't have to think and about much think, else. Yeah, yeah. Don't think. I mean, you think about your technique and all that, but you don't need to think about. Okay, I'm seeing all this play out now. I need right. to make a quick decision about right. which is my guy. Um, Cam seems to run into those issues, and it's year three. Yes. And I know it's a new defense, a year one in this defense, but this isn't the first time he's being asked to decipher route combos. Yeah, pattern matching was a staple of Zimmer's system too. This, I mean, this is not a concept that he's never seen in the NFL. Yeah, so it's just to me that you don't – if you're a defensive coach, you don't have time to work through that if in year three you're still going through this. So even if he's healthy, whenever we ask about him, O'Connell references depth, and I think that's what he is now. I think yeah. he's depth. Yeah, yeah. O'Connell does not come out and say, yeah, he's our guy. Yeah. I mean, there is not – and O'Connell is not going to answer those questions the same way Zimmer did, but you can tell – <laughs> I just I spit Maybe on my coffee thinking take. about how Zimmer would react to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not particularly. No. Yeah. Um, but there are times where he'll hedge a little bit, and it's like, okay, I, I can yeah. get a little bit of a sense of what you're thinking in the degree to which you answer this with some level of enthusiasm. Yeah, his direct quote when asked yesterday, Kevin O'Connell's direct quote, when asked yesterday about – whether or not Duke Shelley or Cameron Dancer would start, O'Connell said Duke has played really well. I also think Cam has done some good things. I mean, so yeah, it, it's just, and no matter who you talk to, whether it's the, the players or the coaches, they have been impressed by Duke Shelley. Uh, but there's a reason why he's a 26 year old journeyman because he's five, five nine, nine and you don't want him playing outside, but they have to, because that's just your only option. Right you know now. what that reminds me of a little bit is 20. It, there are a lot of things about this scene that remind me of 2012 in the sense of, like, this doesn't add up in the the whole overview of the thing. When you look at the roster, like, I don't, this doesn't quite add up, but they have an MVP-level player that's oh, sure. yep. pulling a lot of it along. And this is a better team than that one was. But mm-hmm. there, are, there are a number of things that remind me of it. But the one specific to the secondary is Antoine Winfield that year. They wanted to be a nickel corner. And he ended up playing a lot in the base, ended up playing you know, 85 90% of their snaps yeah. because he was so good. Duke Shelley's not Antoine Winfield. Antoine Winfield was a Pro Bowl player. But in the sense that this is a guy that we would not typically put outside because of a height concern, but he's been able to get the job done because he can play physically enough and, and do enough things well to survive. I, I don't know that that's going to last for another – five weeks or whatever you'd have to do to get to the Super Bowl. But he has been able to overcome some of the things with his stature because he has played 
physically and has made some plays when he has. And the size part, I mean, I think people think about jump balls and stuff, but it really matters when it comes to like what the Giants did against the Vikings, which is a ton of crossing routes, yep. right? Yep, a lot well, of man beaters. not everybody can run – you know, uh, step to step with some of these wide receivers, you need length to knock a ball out or you need like what Patrick Peterson did was just to read the play and be like, I know this is going to be an over. I'm just going to jump it and be in position the entire way. Well, he said on the sideline, he's like, I'm going to pick one of these off. And then he he said, they keep targeting me. I'm going to get one of them. He knew those overs were keep coming. But my point is like, a smaller guy like Duke Shelley needs to be an even better position yes. than Patrick because yes. his arms are short. Yep. <laughs> you yeah, know? you lose four inches of length. <laughs> you can't like swat the ball away. You can't see. It's easier to get beaten on even just basic crossing routes. Yeah. And we see that with Shannon Sullivan sometimes. We see that with Duke Shelley sometimes. And you can't always drop the safeties to help when you're so focused on playing these three deep zones. So it's interesting to me to see how they adjust that moving forward because these vulnerabilities – or just are there and yeah. you can't do anything about it right now. Well, and, and the solution they had was through the draft. I mean, they, you can't fix that position in free agency cheaply. You just can't. I mean, they, they did it. They tried with Shannon Sullivan, but we've seen this type of thing, whether it's, you know, guys like Bashad Breland in the past, or, I mean, that, that I, I almost hesitate to invoke that name because that went so horribly, but when you're bringing in guys on one-year deals, there is a ceiling to what you're going to get from a player like that. It is a really expensive position because shutdown corners are hard to find. So having somebody that's going to come in, and it, you know, if you're watching games at home saying, well, this guy's getting beat, like, well, yeah, because it's a really hard position to play, and you're not going to find guys off the street that have the ability to fix the problem. So the, the solution that was available to them was let's draft some corners high. They did that. Those guys are not available right now, and if they were, they haven't had enough time on task, as Kirk Cousins likes to say, to master the position. It, yeah. It's a really, really hard position to play in the NFL because you have a lot of offenses doing a lot of different things. The schemes are getting more complex as you try to match some of those things, and all of the rules are <laughs> stacked against you. Yeah. So it's not an easy thing to pick up. The solutions they had available to them are not here. So th- this is very much a let's put it together with chewing gum and fishing wire and hope it holds as I, long as we can go. I can't remember who it was. It might have been uh, former uh, edge rusher Chris Long, but there was some former player doing a podcast, as, as they all do now, um, and he's, he's even non-players do now. Uh, as we're current talking. players do. <laughs> current, that's right, current players. Somebody actually, uh, hold on, we got a question. This reminds me. We got a question about what was the origination of Mike Zimmer's Get Off the Podcast. Oh, yes. Um, and that origination, speaking of players doing podcasts, was? Kirk Cousins. Uh, the Under Center with Kirk Cousins, the short-lived show he did with Mark Rosen, I believe. He had, I think this was the week of the Stefan Diggs AWOL thing because it was they, they had lost in Chicago. And Cousins was missing deep throws, and Thielen said something after the game about you have to be able to throw the ball downfield. You know, fairly matter of fact, but everybody's like, oh, he's calling out Kirk Cousins. You know, the the aggregation complex, industrial complex on Twitter took that and ran with it. And so Cousins had Thielen on his podcast to apologize to him for missing him deep. And Zimmer's like, don't apologize. Just go be better, basically. And then Zimmer said at the end, maybe he should get off the podcast. Or I think the quote was, maybe you should get off the podcast. But I think he was saying that to 
Cousins. He didn't love that Cousins was doing that podcast. And I, I forgot about the public apology yes. yep. aspect of yep. that. Because that was the same week that then Diggs disappeared. So it was cats and dogs living together around here that week. Wow. Early um, October 2019. I don't think – we just haven't gotten a good enough quote yet from, from Kevin. I mean, you know, maybe we need to do a better job of cutting some of their go-to cliches and phrases to use. But there just hasn't been a good enough one to end this podcast with every single time. You know who we should put on here what? to end it? Matt Daniels. <laughs> we don't we don't need the head coach the, the 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 quote machine is a special teams coordinator that's true we just got done listening to him talk about how you can mother f uh josh metellus all day but but not the kicker not the kicker. you gotta you gotta know the five love languages <laughs> like I, I did not expect to hear that book come up in a nfl coordinators press conference that that would not have been on my bingo card <laughs> uh jeffrey based on our uh discussion just before the podcast discussion jeffrey asks how are we feeling about quasi's draft class i know it's a bit incomplete uh but worth a talker i would say it's more than incomplete i would give the entire class an incomplete right now because four of them well three of them after chai chandler got activated but four of them have spent much of the year on injured reserve including your top two picks ed ingram is the only one that's played a large a large role that's right uh with the caleb evans on ir and Brian Osamoa has given them a little ray of sunshine in that draft class. But other than that, they have had to piece this together with, with trying to keep their veterans healthy, which speaks to the level that they're going to. We're in week 16. They're, they're resting guys, essentially. Yeah. I mean, they have had to do, I think, a lot of the things that they didn't want to have to do. And that has been because the draft guys weren't available. I mean, four of the, five, four of the first five picks were on defense. Three of those five were in the secondary. And as we're talking about, none of those five are available right now. So this has been a fairly healthy team, but the place that they have not been healthy is with their rookies. And you just aren't going to have a good sense of what this group can do until you see them stay healthy. Andrew Booth, that has been a known issue, as as the tech world likes to say. that This is a, a thing that has been part of his story for a long time. And whether that'll get better in the NFL, I, I think is probably a little bit of a, a bank shot. Um, but Lewis Seen, obviously that's a freak injury. Caleb Evans, concussions, you wonder about that going forward. But you won't have a good sense of what those guys can do until they're back on the field and show that they can stay on the field. I, I think Azazio Tomewo, has, you've seen a little bit more of him in the last couple of weeks, and they may see him become a contributor here down the stretch. Ed Ingram certainly is starting has had a lot of rough moments in year one. Uh, Brian Osamoa right now, well, Ingram has been a bigger contributor in year one than anybody else. Osamoa may end up coming out of it with the best kind of vibe of the whole thing sure. in yeah. year one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, a lot of questions there to be answered with that group. There really is. There really is. And they've had to piece it together, like we said, with these free agents and these veteran guys that they just desperately need healthy for January uh, and moving forward. Brent wants to know, what would it take for Justin Jefferson to win MVP? He says, I don't think 2,000 yards would be enough. I don't either. Um, it's funny because it's going to be 10 years on Saturday since Adrian Peterson finished his regular season nine yards short of breaking Eric Dickerson's record, had a buck 99 against the Packers to get the Vikings into the playoffs in what remains one of the best games I've ever seen. I guess nine, 10 years ago tomorrow, 10 years ago Friday, 
I think is is when that'll be December thirtieth, I believe it was. But he's still the last non quarterback to win that award. There has been no non quarterback to win it since then, and a lot of them have been the same four or five players. It's been Rodgers, I think, three times. It's been uh, Patrick Mahomes, a couple Lamar Jackson in there. Um, I think um, I can't remember. Brady's got one in there. Matt Ryan probably has one the year that the Falcons went to the Super Bowl. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of the names that you would expect in that group, I would think Jefferson certainly will get votes. The voting process changed. It, you now rank your top five. It's not just picking your top guy anymore. Um, so that may get him a few more votes in that process than he's gotten in the past. That might put him higher up in the ballot. I just think in a year that the Chiefs are 12-3 and three without Tyreek Hill – Patrick Mahomes is going to have an awfully strong case for it. I think it's going to be hard for Jefferson to win it. Yeah, Mahomes won it in 2018. I believe that was his first year starting. Um, the last non-quarterback before Adrian was LaDainian Tomlinson, 06, Sean Alexander, 05. But then, yeah, quarterback, Peyton Manning, Steve McNair, Rich Gannon, Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, 2000. Terrell Davis, 98. So the running backs, you know, were a thing for a while. But with Wes Phillips was asked this today, too, the offensive coordinator of the Vikings, and he said, I don't think a non-quarterback will ever win it or a wide receiver yeah. will ever win it. Because he said on the other end, there has to be a quarterback who played such a big role and the quarterbacks play such big roles, uh, obviously, that it's just you, you can separate that for a running back because obviously Christian Ponder had next to nothing to do with Adrian's season. Yeah. But That's you true. you have the talking heads arguing, you know, like as as they're wont to do, uh, about how is Kirk Cousins the real envy? All you know, all this yeah. stuff. It's like it just yeah. splits, it dilutes the conversation when you get to wide receivers. I think the thing that may help Jefferson is that the national narrative is so slow to give Kirk Cousins credit that there are going to be a lot of people that say, well, he did all this in spite of the fact that he's had Kirk Cousins as a quarterback. And the numbers, if you haven't watched the Vikings very closely, you'd say, well, Cousins has worse numbers this year than he ever has playing quarterback for the Vikings. When when you watch some of the throws he's made, as we have every week, he's I don't think there's any question he's playing at a higher level than he ever has. I mean, some of the throws he makes with guys in his face, into tight windows, I mean, there, there's no doubt that he's playing. He, he, the number of big boy throws he's made this year, I think, yeah. far exceeds anything we've seen him do. The people that have the votes aren't watching that probably as closely every week certainly as we are and that's why i hate this conversation because it always yeah, delves into yeah. raw numbers and raw numbers make jared goff look like matthew stafford and yep. raw numbers yep. it's just it, it makes people think these quarterbacks are on even planes when when you talk to anybody who knows anything they'll say no matthew stafford is 50 times the quarterback of jared goff now goff's done some good things in detroit but you could put nick Foles behind that offensive line in detroit yeah and he would Especially win another, now that they're getting some weapons he, he might make another playoff run i think they're that good over there in detroit yeah. on offense outside of quarterback the other thing, too, with... Um, but all this may help Jefferson, I guess, is what we're saying, in the yes. sense that the narrative yep. won't boost Cousins nationally to the point where the vote would split. The other thing with Kirk, too, in terms of playing at another level, people don't realize that so much more is being put on his plate in the huddle and yes. the line of scrimmage than it ever has. Every listen time, to the number of hard counts and checks, yep. all that stuff. And, and just listen to the coaches. After some of these games, often Kevin O'Connell is saying, Kirk got us in the right look. Yep. Because they're yep. calling multiple plays to get what they call their uh, prime. Premier look. Premier, thank you. Yeah. 
uh, their premier look, and that's on Kirk. That's yep. on Kirk to decipher what is seeing before the snap, make sure he's not getting fooled, and sometimes it happens, and then he's trying to get them into the right play like the Jefferson screen. That yes. set up the 61-yard he checked to that. field goal. So these are things that Kirk, you had audibles before, but it wasn't an every-down thing where most of these downs, he's having multiple options, yep. and it's on him. And, and I think that plays a big part in their winning, too, is that he's having more autonomy in that offense and at the line. When before, sure, he put up bigger raw numbers, but it was much more of a, well, they didn't know how to guard Justin Jefferson at the time, or they didn't realize, or you had Adam Thielen and Stefan, and those are just two great weapons that they could play action uh, uh, scheme up and down the field. And it was just one call that, and to him, it was just drop back and throw. Well, and that was a team that didn't trust him. And that was a scheme, an offense, a coaching staff that didn't trust him. So a lot of it was let's not put things on his plate because we don't think he can handle it. This group has done the exact opposite. They have said, we are going to demand a lot of you because we think you can handle it, and we're going to challenge you to do it. I mean, you mentioned the, the plays. They Most of the time, they're calling two plays in the huddle. And, and teams do this around the NFL. This is not a new thing that the Vikings are doing. This is new to the Vikings, I think, because I don't think there was as much of this. But, yeah, all of that stuff, I mean – when when you watch the game on Sunday, turn the sound up, listen to the number of times he hard counts, listens to all, listen to all the checks, listen to the number of times he says can, can, can. That's him killing the play that they had called and saying the other one that we called in the huddle, that's what we're going to run. So he wasn't doing any of that stuff here in the past. And not saying that he couldn't, but they just didn't use him that way. So that makes a big difference in terms of – especially too, I talked to O'Connell earlier this week – for this Jefferson story that runs in the paper later this week, he said a lot of what we've had to do is build routes on routes, and and you saw this against the Colts. But you know, basically, what he I think called complementary routes in the sense that we're going to take something we've done with Jefferson that people have seen on tape, and then we add another wrinkle off of that route, almost kind of a derivative to it, because Jefferson is getting so much coverage shaded toward him that we have to find different ways to do it. So you have to have a quarterback and a receiver that are completely in sync, especially when they're having Jefferson play three different positions. This is the other thing that would boost his MVP case, I think. And, and I talked to Cousins about this. He said, we have him doing so much stuff that if he would if he would come in here and just say, I'm better than everybody else, I don't need to put in the time, none of this would work. So a lot of this leans really, really heavily on those two being in sync, those two being on top of every little detail to the point where they can go out there and execute things like they did against the Colts. People are going to have to listen to this at half speed because I had a whole coffee and Ben had a donut beforehand. And yeah. We're, we're rolling. We are fired up. <laughs> we're, we're shooting down narratives and we're full of uh, sugar and caffeine as we do it. Uh, but I, I just don't see Jefferson doing it, especially when you've got, yeah, Patrick Mahomes and just the quarterbacks that – let's face it it's 50 writers who vote on this it's sometimes it's not the youngest writers who are voting on this it is going to be guys who are just going to give the credit uh, as you typically do to the winning quarterback so even if Justin deserved it even if he breaks Calvin Johnson's record in these last two games which is somehow doable for him which is just yeah. remarkable um and yes could do it Sunday if he has a huge day. And that would be with – no, that would be 17 games. No, that would be, be 16 be, games. Yeah. So that would be a legitimate – you know, he wouldn't have any asterisks by it yep. in terms of, well, you had the extra game. But even if he does, I just – I don't see him being in that balloting outsiders getting some votes, some, yeah. some second, third, fourth place votes. Yep, I think that's probably right. Um, all right. Before Maybe we, offensive player of the year, though. 
Yeah. Oh, yes. You, you should, because that's usually like the consolation yep. prize for wide receivers, right? Cooper Cup got it. Yeah, like, I think that's what we thought Adrian was going to get in 2012. It was him and Peyton Manning, and I think Peyton Manning won Offensive Player of the Year and then the Comeback Player of the Year because that was his first year in Denver. But that was this discussion of whether Adrian was going to win it or Peyton Manning, and then Adrian ultimately was the MVP that year. But, yeah, I, I think the Offensive Player of the Year consolation prize, if, if I was putting odds on it, I would put the odds uh, – a little bit more on him getting that than uh, otherwise. Uh, Nick wants to know: compare and contrast the defense, the two. Compare and contrast the defense during the two games before the Lions' loss and the two games after the Lions' loss. Have proper adjustments been made? Well, we talked about that a little bit in terms of those adjustments and how they're so dependent on who they're facing. I do like their chances, though, being able to copy some of that in your initial round of the playoffs, where. Yeah, it might be Carson Wentz. It might be Daniel Jones. Uh, it's probably not going to be uh, a superstar quarterback. And then even if you face Brock Purdy in the second round, the quarterback is not necessarily going to be your biggest fear there. It's going to be all the talent around him. So blitzing him, playing Harrison Smith low, doing all those different things, uh, I think will certainly help them quite a bit. Because Jordan Hicks talked about this too. Like We've found some curveballs, some change-ups that we can add to our defense where through the first 12 weeks, they really didn't have them. It was yeah. pretty vanilla and seemingly basic in terms of playing your different cover threes and sixes and all that and, and not really doing a whole lot else. Um, all right. We got – let's see. Do we have any more questions? Scrolling through here. We got, we got one about uh, why does ESPN and other analysts not trust the Vikings? I mean, come on. Like, really? Like, you should know why. <laughs> You haven't won a one-score game since week one. Won anything other than a one-score game since week one? You mean? Haven't yeah, haven't won. Uh, sorry, haven't won anything other than yeah. You haven't yeah. won by more than one score since yes. the season opener, and that was against a Packers defense that clearly didn't expect them to move Jefferson around the way they did, didn't guard him <laughs> at all. No. Uh, I think we're going to see different uh, a different approach on Sunday to Jefferson, but I don't think it matters because this guy just balls out against anything. They've yeah. seen everything. Yep. They've, they've seen yep. every bracket. They've seen every double, sometimes triple team. Um, I, I, the dude can't be stopped. Yeah, and O'Connell raved about that route he ran on the touchdown. He said that's the best route he's run all year, and it was partially because the leverage that they put on him, that should not have been open. Yeah. I mean, yep. he basically yep. ran the route to a degree and it probably adjusted the route to a degree that – made it happen I mean they have him running a lot of choice routes too where it's him having to read coverage and make decisions and he does that really well I mean that you know the the fact that he grew up with an older brother that played quarterback at LSU and was in a national championship game he was studying college film when he was in high school so that time he had to learn from people you know kind of advanced studies almost almost like AP football classes um, I think all that helps and I, I think he picks up a lot of these things and, and has been able to adjust to it as a, pro, as a result of that. I guess th this, this should be our last question. So you, you got, we got a big story. You have a big story coming out Saturday's paper on Justin Jefferson. And what did you learn about him and your work on that, that we've been around him three years? Yeah. You know, well, really one year since post-pandemic where we've been able to actually get in the locker room. Right. But what did you learn about him that stood out to you? I think the thing that was, and there were a number of things, and this comes out in the story, but you know, everybody talks about the the foundation that his family put into place, and his parents obviously had two older brothers or two first sons played at LSU. 
made it to the fringes of the NFL, didn't make it. They have been kind of like, well, okay, this is great that our son has been drafted, but they're not the typical sports parents that like, oh my gosh, my kid is going to rewrite all the records. And they're still working their, their nine to five jobs. I mean, his dad basically said, I want to make, I've been in the same company. I want to get my 30 years. I think there's a pension involved. He's like, I'm not going to quit my job because I've put in all this time. I've worked for it. I've earned it. I'm not going to live on my son's paycheck. So there is a level of humility. I think that comes into that, that, that everybody talked about in terms of I talked to Chris Carter. He said that the, the first thing Jefferson did when he saw Carter show up at camp is said, hey, if there's anything you see that I need to work on, let me know. Uh, Cousins said this. Thielen said this, that all of these guys, Patrick Peterson, who's known him since he was 10 years old, all kind of have an open invitation that if you need to check me on things, if if you see something I need to do better, I want to hear it. And, and Kevin O'Connell has talked about I can coach him hard because and that doesn't mean yelling at him and, and biting his head off. It means mother effing him. Yeah, it does not mean mother effing him, <laughs> like, not the Josh Metellus treatment. <laughs> it means I expect a lot out of you. And you hear that from everybody that that talks with that works with him on a, a close level. Even people in the building that deal with him on a close level. It, you know, he gets a lot of autograph requests more than anybody else in this building. Anything they put in front of him is like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll sign it. Um, you know, that does not mean that everybody that sends a Justin Jefferson autograph request is going to get it because the Vikings are certainly filtering some of those things of is this going to end up on eBay the next day or is this for a kid that actually wants it? Uh, you know, they're trying to figure some of those things out. But there's a lot there that you just kind of go back to the the foundation, I think, of where he comes from. And it – shows up a lot in the way that he works and and I think the degree to which he's become a star is probably surprising even a little bit to him but I talked with him about that he said you know I'm going to try to grab everything I can he, he's not the guy that's saying I don't want to be a star he, he enjoys that part of it there's no doubt about that I mean he likes having the gritty and Madden and likes you know Fortnite and all the stuff that comes with it and being able to get courtside seats to Lakers games but I think he also understands that the only way this works is if I continue to produce at the level that I have. I'm not going to get lost in the stardom because the stardom comes because of what the first thing is, and the first thing is me being a great football player. You bringing up O'Connell talking about coaching him hard made me think of a conversation I had with Keenan McCardell yeah. in August about – I asked him, just how do you coach a guy like that? He's a superstar, yeah. basically. And he said, well, I'm lucky in the fact that I can coach him – like I would anybody else, but have such a high level of demand for him that I'd asked Justin, like, what's the hardest thing for you about going through training camp and all this stuff? And he said, well, it's being perfect every day. And I didn't understand what he meant until I talked to McCardell. And McCardell's like, no, like we track every route, every assignment and practice. And he'll have like three or four MEs, they call them mental errors in a practice. And I'll come back and I'll ream him for it. And he'll be like, but I caught three touchdowns. He's like, yeah, but it could have been five. You know, it doesn't matter what you did. It's what you didn't do. And you weren't perfect today. And that's incredible to see that you can do that with a guy like that. And he'll actually take it to heart. And right. just be like, no, I'm, I'm good. Don't talk to me like that. Well, and the thing he said, I asked him about Carter. And he said, if anybody is giving you advice, you should take it and, and put it in. Especially a guy like that that has been where I want to go. He said after the catch in Buffalo, because Carter's always been big on strengthen your hands, make your hands more flexible so you can catch passes. That's always been something that Carter has talked about in his own development. 
as a receiver over the years, and he's said that to younger players. Jefferson took that to heart. He said after the Buffalo game, I think all those finger strengthening exercises helped me make that catch. So Carter told him that. He's like, okay, I'm going to start doing that. And, and you you mentioned the McArdle stuff. He he has one quote in this story, and I feel like I'm giving the whole thing away. But um, he said, Mama Jefferson, she don't take no stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, he said it kind of comes from there that that you can uh, you can be tough on him. <clears throat> and, he, and McArdle said – he will call his parents and tell them I'm being hard on him, but he can take it. I mean, you think about the number of receivers that have been here over the years that if they were coached that way, uh, I, I think Diggs would have received it because I, Diggs, I think, was intense enough of a competitor that if you had a coach, especially – well, and McCardo was his college receivers coach, so he could coach Diggs like that. Um, I don't know that – you would have had Randy Moss or Percy Harvin probably saying, yeah, okay, I'll take that to heart and not getting upset about it. I mean, you know, it's a, everybody's different, but I, I don't know that that would be received the same way as he seems to take it. All right. Well, that'll be enough for this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. If you slow it down, it might be an hour and a half long. That's how much we crammed into 45 minutes here. But thank you for listening. Please go to StarTribune.com or buy a newspaper, why don't you, on Saturday for this article we're talking about on Justin Jefferson. I guarantee you'll learn even more about him. Um, But thank you for checking out this episode. And please go to StarTribune.com for all of our work.